This is the Speaker for the Living podcast, exploring the depths of human trafficking, forced labor, and all things related. Welcome, everyone, to the Super Bowl version of Speaker for the Living. You heard that right. We are going to talk about the big game and the sex trafficking myth that surrounds it. I am here with Rex Hamaker. Hello. And JJ Jenflum. What up? And with the Super Bowl going to happen next week, we're going to look at... These stories that surround it, if you have heard of the stats, they say things like what, Rex? Uh, I mean, going back a number of years, and we should say it's not just the Super Bowl, but uh, any major sporting event. So uh, the Olympics um, for the past few decades have been talked about. Um, let's see, the, the World one. Cup. The World Cup, yeah, is uh, another one where people talk about this. Political conventions. Sure. Uh, even the National Western Stock Show, I think, last year, they had a, a sting here in Denver mm-hmm. um, for that event, and that's even more... I mean, it's national, but... So not even just sports-related events, but um, to quote an article we're going to talk about a little bit later, um, there's this presumption that anytime you have a large number of people gathering in one place, specifically a population that is overwhelmingly male, that sex trafficking is going to happen. A spike in sex trafficking yeah. is going to happen. There's an increase uh, because there's increased demand is the is the thought. And I say presumption <laughs> as opposed to established fact because it's been kind of patently, I think, proven to be un- untrue over time. I don't know if you would agree or disagree with that, Rex, but... Uh. I'm not sure that we know it is untrue, but they don't know that it is true. It's probably because I mean maybe, but there just has been no good proof, and the indicators that are out there kind of point in the opposite direction. And what, well, like, what sort of indicators? Like, do you would so since we have a lot of people who who listen in who like have no familiarity kind of with what human trafficking is, maybe sure. like what the indicators are, like what good data or numbers even look like. Um, I mean, so when people talk to uh, like actual local sex workers that live there throughout the year, and um, they sometimes report a decrease uh, because a lot of the people who come uh, don't necessarily have more money. Like getting the game to the getting the ticket to the game, getting the hotel, getting there, and everything can take away um, a lot of money that could otherwise go to you know um, this industry. Um, I lost my train of thought. That's okay. Um, oh, uh, also service providers who reach out to these communities don't uh, report any kind of spike in um, what they're seeing going on either. So when you talk to the people who are on the ground, um, actually dealing with real people, uh, those indicators don't show that there is any kind of increase and there might be a decrease. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that fluffs the numbers a little bit or just kind of makes them difficult to parse out is that depending on who the care provider is or depending on who the source is that a lot of these kind of sensationalistic articles about how, you know, sex trafficking is, you know, huge around any sort of sporting event, 
is this kind of conflation of someone who is sex trafficked, someone who is a sex worker, um, and then someone who's just being kind of in general like sexually exploited. And so I was wondering if maybe you could talk a little bit about like what the differences are between those tiers. Um, I mean, legally, uh, the definition is going to be uh, forced fraud or coercion if that's happening. Um, so if a person is consensually there uh, as an adult uh, performing commercial sex acts, um, then that is not legally trafficking. It is prostitution, and those laws are going to vary uh, by city and state. Um, but the federal definition of trafficking is that there has to be force, fraud, or coercion, unless it's a minor uh, who is engaging in commercial sex, which is automatically trafficking. You don't have to prove force, fraud, or coercion for that. Um, and then a lot of the numbers that are out there uh, usually come from people just looking at uh, what's going on in advertisements for the regular sex trade locally, um, which don't necessarily indicate trafficking. Mm -hmm. And I think, I, I don't know, one of the things that I struggle with this is, one, I feel like it's a very sort of gendered perspective of it, and in gendered in this sense I mean women, that it's a lot of men go to these events and while they're there they prey on women which I have a number of issues with. It implies that men cannot be sex workers. Sure. It implies that women cannot be buyers. Um, and, and also just that this idea that there's some sort of herd mentality amongst men in regards to buying sex that I mean, not a man, personally, identify as a lady, but it's just, it's something that, like, I've, I've never seen the, like, a reverse equivalent happen with large gatherings of women, where they've sure. been, like, labor trafficking is, is coming in. Uh, yeah, so two things there. Um, also to consider is just that it's not true that, uh, I mean, there's a lot of people, but not, there, a lot of people, yeah, so men and women go to these events. Um, if you look at any crowd, it's, it's fairly well split. Uh, so it's not just that there are so many men, first of all, and then also men that can afford, men that actually have the time to do this, men that aren't there with their families. Um, yeah, even if you look at the raw numbers of just attendees, uh, it takes away some of the uh, potential for, well, to consider sex trafficking. Yeah. I also think it's just interesting that around any event, so we're talking about these things like we even talk about like for political conventions sure. and things that like numbers mm -hmm. increase. It seems to be like what the what the catalyst that a lot of these researchers or a lot of these articles are playing is just that there's a large pop like outside population moving into the area for a short amount of time. And what gets me is that we know that labor trafficking is far more common statistically than sex trafficking. So I wonder why we never see any articles of the labor trafficking that's going on, say at the Super Bowl with maybe people selling t-shirts sure. or, or food workers. Or the extra hotel staff that it takes to keep everything you know, clean when you have every room booked. Mm -hmm. um, if they're having that kind of you know, seasonal work um, that can be informal and can be a site of trafficking, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a big deal as well. There's also been a lot of talk around the uh, World Cup in Qatar. <coughs> Um, as they have with Olympics in the past, uh, with the working conditions of the crews who are putting together all the facilities. Um, there are lots of really horrific stories coming out of Qatar. Uh, I think they changed the law a little bit, but it didn't have uh, quite as much of an effect as the workers' workers' rights advocates were hoping for. Why do you think, I mean, I don't know if, if, if Seth or X, if you guys kind of want to jump in here, 
because I have an opinion that I've made clear <laughs> in mm-hmm. previous podcasts. But why do you think there's so much focus on sex? Is it just that sex and the Super Bowl is kind of like a sexy clickbaity title, or? I mean, there's a lot think? of sex in the marketing uh, of the Super Bowl for sure. True. Um, any kind of focus on the cheerleaders, you're bringing in the idea of sex. Uh, a lot of the commercials are uh, kind of sexualized. Uh, I mean, the idea of sex in the Super Bowl is very connected already. Um, but I guess it's okay if it's the Super Bowl sponsors doing it. Well, in the Super Bowl itself, it has the largest single viewership of yeah. any pro uh, TV program in the world. It is one of the more sensational events in the world. Uh, the cost of advertising is astronomical, but if wisely done, they, it can make a big difference for a business. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a big deal. I, I mean, there are, there are people who care less about the game and watch it for the commercials. Maybe yeah. it's less true now than maybe 10 or 20 years ago, but still, that, that says a lot about how this event is a centering event. Mm-hmm. And also to, to go back and just to reference some of where some of this came from. In 2011, former Texas Attorney General Greg, and current, well, and he was a governor, he might still be, uh, Greg Abbott had told USA Today that the Super Bowl is, quote, the single largest trafficking incident in the U.S., which is quite a headline. In 2012, Forbes quoted the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, who reported that 10,000 prostitutes were trucked into Miami for the 2010 Super Bowl, and that spread across the interwebs. (laughs) As things do, that are always true. There are some people who researched that sort of number and just said, if you look at hotels and where people would stay that it just isn't even plausible based on just numbers especially when you compare all the other people who are coming into town for the event now there there were various sides on this part of it is and this is where it gets relevant to our situation like why we're actually having a program on it because isn't focus on sex trafficking good? Don't we want to end trafficking? Well, yes, we do. But it has become this event where there have been increased law enforcement efforts. So I'm looking at an article right now. FBI tries new approach in Super Bowl sex trafficking fight. There have been advocacy campaigns and a lot of money that also have... Is that from last year? This one, no, this is 2000, yeah, last year, 2016. Yeah, that made a lot of news. They were going to um, essentially arrest the girls more nicely. Um, that is their new approach. That's good. But there are also other people and who have looked at this, and they have looked at some of the debunkings or questions to it and have said, this is, this is crap, this isn't true, and let's... Super Bowl numbers and trafficking numbers, they're just not true, so we don't need to care as much about trafficking. So you have a comment, JJ? Yeah. I think one of the the better articles that kind of discusses the impact sort of statement comes from the Huffington Post um, online site, and it's it was written by Andy Campbell. 
And one of the points that Campbell makes in, in their piece is, uh, I'm going to quote directly here, is that each year the FBI and local agencies pour resources into enforcing sex trafficking laws and rescuing victims of the sex trade. Uh, but more resources need to be allocated to compiling statistics to show that show how big of a problem it really is. And then later on, um, that um, more arrests don't necessarily mean that there's a bigger problem during the Super Bowl than any other time. Mm-hmm. So I think And there's that, usually very little follow-up on that with uh, how many actual convictions they get for, um, I mean, prostitution, let alone trafficking. Um, they say they've rescued all these trafficking cases, but then nobody's getting convicted. Um, and so how can it be trafficking if it wasn't legally trafficking? Yeah, exactly. And I think it's one of those things, and, and we see this, and by we I mean people kind of in the human trafficking field all the time with the data that's given to us. It's that, well, we've arrested 133 people, and so we've determined that 133 people were involved in pimping, and that's not it. It's that if I pour thousands of dollars into one weekend to end prostitution in an area, I'm going to have a lot of prostitution arrests. And I may then identify that some of those people picked up in that prostitution sting are victims of human trafficking more than I have any other month out of the year. But if I haven't done any stings or had any funding for the other 11 months out of the year, then that's not a fair representation of what's actually happening. And I think it's also rather insulting to people who actually are trafficking victims or who, who have kind of a, a maybe um, who are in the erotic services but are being exploited because it's saying that you only matter in this one particular time period for us because we can tie it to something like the Super Bowl or FIFA and then we can say that it's not our community that's trafficking you it's these outsiders that come in um, and that so there it, there are multiple levels of like wrongness sure. <laughs> there but and another thing to consider with these uh, arrest numbers around stings um, is that uh, when laws were passed around trafficking, initially um, almost all the states, as they passed their laws, uh, criminalized trafficking and updated their definition of what trafficking was. But very few of them um, also implemented uh, funding for services for survivors. Um, so you can be uh, arrested for trafficking or arrested for prostitution and assumed to be trafficked. Um, and have that have the law touch your life in that way, uh, but then you don't necessarily have the right to get any um, services for anything. So an arrest does not necessarily mean that somebody's life is automatically getting better. Yeah, I think that that's one of the things I like about the the Campbell piece is that it reminds me of uh, Monica Peterson's research that that Seth and I had done an episode on, in particular this idea of like what are we rescuing them in from and what are we rescuing them to which is the part that's not discussed here. So even like getting away my little hill to die on, which is like we don't talk about labor trafficking, it's sure. when we're talking about the numbers of people who come in around these major sporting events or around these major events, we're not talking about what happens to them after this event is over. You're right. There's there's very little of any mention of, well, when when the fair does leave, what what happens to these people? Where did they come from? Where are they going? What's going on? Um, and this is the the last kind of touch on I'm going to do on the on the Campbell piece. I would just really recommend it. It's very brief. It's a really good primer. Um, but he he quotes within it 
that this myth trivializes trafficking and wastes needed resources that could be used to actually address trafficking. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that's just a kind of a really good mm-hmm. sort of sum up of maybe kind of the point that we're trying to make with this is that it's not that we don't care about sex trafficking victims or about sex trafficking around major events. It's that the the resources given should be given equally or that just like the math should be shown. Well, they should be given. There just aren't resources a lot of the time um, for victims and survivors. Um, and then if uh, law enforcement doesn't have them tra- any particular training in how to deal with these people um, who are coming out of exploitive situations, um, that's not going to necessarily go too well either for them. They can uh, further their trauma. Well, to show how just crazy this gets, in another article, they actually talked to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. And they denied that the, the statistic comes from them, the one, the 10,000 statistic that is attributed to them. And that's the way stats, these stats have a life of their own. Call them zombie stats, they just won't die. <laughs> and if there were data that showed that there were 10,000, like if we had the data, well, that would, that would be one thing. That, then it would be a big deal, but there isn't the data to show that. For any sporting event anywhere in the world so far. Yeah. So I have a, a few articles in front of me, and I will read their titles and then go a little deeper into them. First one is National Sex Trafficking Sting Net, Nets Nearly 600 Arrests Before Super Bowl. So, very clearly says a sex trafficking sting gives a number of 600. So then when you go in, and this involves 17 different states, it said, okay, there were 25 child prostitutes. So based on current uh, sex trafficking laws, if you're un- under 18, you can't consent. So, so that fits the paradigm. It says... 570 people were arrested on suspicion of soliciting prostitutes. Soliciting prostitutes does not equate to sex trafficking. Mm -hmm. It may or may not. Police also arrested 23 people on suspicion of sex trafficking and rescued 68 victims, including 14 juveniles. So again, those 14 juveniles, you can call that sex trafficking. The rest, it depends also, we're not sure how many of those charges stick. Oh, yeah, good point. I didn't even actually think about that. Because the charges have to stick, and then you have to get a conviction, but there's never any follow-up to these. So there's always these arrests, but then no story about where those arrests go. Another and article. Um, at least 42 potential victims, 30 suspects uncovered during Super Bowl human trafficking stings. And it has some of the same challenges. Okay, to, you know, there were some victims that are underage, but it's more mentioning prostitution, mentioning soliciting prostitution, but whether or not it's actually sex trafficking, you read the headline and it's potentially misleading. Not because the reporter or writer is ill-intended, it's just this is legally more complex than, than people understand in the public discourse. Yeah, and I think... It's what I, what I keep coming back to is this idea of like show your math. Like I want there to be kind of some some proof given to shore up these claims. Um, one, so talking about in particular um, the 
Super Bowl uh, last year um, in a particular article. Um, researchers from Arizona State University studied online sex ads for 10 days. And they did find that ad volume spiked leading up to the event. Well, correlation is not causation. But then they make the claim at least half appeared to involve sex trafficking victims. And how, from an ad online, uh, on a place like Backpage or Craigslist, can you identify someone as a sex trafficking victim? You can't. Yeah. I, I Just from a picture and a, and a brief sort of like solicitation online, you cannot tell if someone is sex trafficking. It's so much more nuanced than that. Unless, of course, you're um, buying child sex, in which case that's a, that's a separate issue. But I can't imagine that half of the ads on Backpage were out-and-out out child pornography. So it's just crazy to me that they're listed as a sex trafficking charge or a sting when really what it is is prostitution, of which a population might be sex trafficked. And just to clarify, since we're going to talk about the McCain Institute of International Leadership report... With, uh, in association with the School of Social Work at Arizona State University. We will sh share this in the show notes. Mm -hmm. They ended up doing a multi-year study, and the latest version is exploring the impact of the Super Bowl on sex trafficking 2015. And what they actually say in the research and what ends up getting said outside the report can be different. Yeah. And... I'm going to quote from uh, ABC 15 in Arizona. Title is, 2015 Super Bowl Sex Trafficking Study Released. True. We are learning just how big of an issue sex trafficking was at the Super Bowl. A new study shows all numbers were on the rise. Online sex acts actually increased by 30%. The number of people responded to sex responding to sex ads was up 20%. And 70% of those phone calls responding to fake sex ads were from local phone numbers. What are the problems with those numbers, Rex? <laughs> uh, there's a lot, a lot of problems with the whole study, actually. Um, I think we already heard that it was a two-year study. Mm -hmm. I mean, it happened in two different calendar years, but it's actually a 20-day study. So when they did their comparisons, they did the week of the Super Bowl and then the week before the Super Bowl. Um, not any other week of the year. Um, for a kind of control, not even, uh, you know, a different season, um, a different climate. Uh, they didn't control for, for anything. Um, is the first huge uh, issue with how they did it. Also, so then they looked at the ads, um, and they themselves determined by some criteria that they don't specify. Um, they decided, they guessed, uh, which ones were uh, sex trafficking. Um, assuming that the rest were just regular, you know, run-of-the-mill prostitution. Um, they didn't make any kind of control for if the same person was posting multiple times uh, because they perceived that there might be more demand. Uh, there's just a lot of things missing from how they did the study that make it, make it bad. And then right. the reporting yeah, doesn't help either. Right. So, yeah, to, to reiterate... If they did this study all year, then they could say, hey, there has been a spike during the Super Bowl. One of the more telling ones in their own report is they showed 
the same they measured the same cities so uh new jersey where super bowl was in 2014 had a similar rise the year after the super bowl so in other words there were pretty similar rises in each city even after this even the following year where the super bowl was not there I explained that well enough. So, yeah. so the Super Bowl, when looking at the spikes, appears to be irrelevant because there are spikes and it goes up over this short period of time, whether or not the Super Bowl is there or not. They also didn't compare it to any other cities to see if this is happening uh, just because of maybe the day. Um, it doesn't have to necessarily even be the Super Bowl city where things are happening. There's a lot of lack of, of good comparison um, in the setup of this study. They, yeah, they, well, they, they showed, I believe, two or three different cities that were Super Bowl cities and not any other cities for controls. Right. So a true control. So there's some data in here that is saying, okay, there, there are sex ads and there's, it's gone up year to year regardless of whether there's a Super Bowl, but it's hard to draw anything clear, especially as it relates to the Super Bowl itself. Yeah. And especially specifically with sex trafficking. I think too, it's um, and I'm kind of, I'm stealing a point that uh, Laurel Dickman, who's a writer for Where Your Voice has made, which is that a no, like, the even if it's a noble lie, <laughs> yeah. it's still not the truth. And it needs to be debunked. So even though people are coming from like a place, I think, of love and wanting to help, I don't think anyone is kind of like cackling nefariously and being like, I'm gonna take down the NFL through the power of sex trafficking. Like I don't I don't think that's what it is. I think it's people wanting to help, but they're not helping correctly. And there's nothing wrong with being someone within the movement and identifying the ways in which the movement is failing. I think some of the comments that we get on here sometimes or that, like, you know, we're offering criticisms and not necessarily, like, always solutions that are viable. But I think you just did. But there are ways to run these studies that would give us good information and or would least, tell us. At least better information. Because, like, the way they set up the study, the information they were trying to get isn't helpful. Um, sorry. Oh, no. It's, it's, it's all of that. And I think... Um, one of the best discussions of this is in, and we'll put this obviously in the notes for you guys, but the truth about the NFL, the Super Bowl, and sex slavery. When they're talking about the just the background, which is of how people got interested in working kind of in this field or on this project, and they quote um, a woman who was shopping in Calcutta and she heard noises and she looked down and she saw like 30 little girls looking up at her on the floor and in her head she immediately went, oh, they're, they're trafficked. They're sex trafficked. I should, you know. So this, this image of this white lady looking down at <laughs> these Indian children who need her help. Do, do you know where I'm, where I'm going with this kind of? It's, it's this issue that when she went back home, she approached Arizona Governor Jan Brewer to propose taking action on trafficking, and that's how the state's task force on human trafficking was created. And so in that story, there's 
people who are trying to do the right thing in that story. The problem is, is that the right thing that they're thinking of is predicated on a lot of assumptions that are, you know, racist, <laughs> nationalistic, uh, incorrect. Sure. You know, like they're so... But also distracting. Yeah, that's. I think that's it. It's the noble lie part is that it's distracting from the reality of the situation. I mean, the documented cases of trafficking in labor around sports events, like the real thing that we're not paying attention to and the fake thing we are. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also, too, that we're not recognizing what sex trafficking actually looks like because we have this stylized image of, I think, there's the one we see, like, even in the advertisements that come out around the Super Bowl warning us about sex trafficking of, like, little white girls. Um... You know, and they're and they're shot in such a way that they're very innocent, and they've been stolen from someone's home. When the reality is that a lot of people who are sex trafficked in the U.S. are people who have already, in some way, been marginalized by greater society. They're they're not the people who cause like the media sensation storms when they go missing. Right. Um, and so I think that we're since we're using this like weird like women need to be saved like a rhetoric we're distracting one from the labor trafficking that most assuredly is probably happening and is more common and also like the reality of what that sex trafficking looks like right and beyond that into very concrete well one of them concrete one in the perception I, I mentioned credibility earlier so there are people who look and they look at the data and they say okay that number is ridiculous. And then when we talk about numbers, there it can some people can tune out because, oh, that number is wrong. There's advocacy efforts. Maybe they're BS. And we'll take the problem less seriously because there are bad numbers. Bad numbers hurt the anti-trafficking movement. Yes. Which is one reason that we are strongly against them and strongly for having as good a data set as possible. And those numbers, aside from affecting perception, directly lead into funding. Yeah. Now, there is a number of advocacy efforts and uh, awareness efforts relating to trafficking, and it tends to go, you know, lots of it toward child sex trafficking because it's viewed as most horrific, and it is really horrific and then sex trafficking, and somewhere else, labor trafficking. You know, supply chain mostly, and when it's more domestic, it's pretty low on the thought hierarchy, unfortunately. And it's still, you know, like more child labor exploitation or child mm -hmm. labor trafficking still gets, or women labor trafficking still gets far more attention than men in, who have been labor trafficked. So it's still very gendered. And And while those are really bad things, slavery is bad. That's, it's, yeah. Slavery is controlling, it is dehumanizing. So whoever is being controlled and dehumanized, it's horrible for them. And when there are advocacy and awareness efforts at the Super Bowl, when there are law enforcement efforts at the Super Bowl, and there's only a limited pool of money to fight trafficking, and a limited pool of money to train law enforcement and or to have special law enforcement units uh, like locally where we have the Innocence Loss Task Force and so on. 
Yes, Rex. Uh, and also, just again, very little money for um, for survivors uh, as well. We're taking away more funds um, from organizations that do that uh, and giving them to the organizations that spread like misawareness. Um, it's not a good cycle. No, so it's, it's again, it's why it's an important issue to us to try to say, okay, what what is true? and call out what we don't have the data to prove. I think it's important too to kind of think about the implications of when we have all these agencies that are that kind of pop up surrounding everything from the World Cup to the Olympics to the Super Bowl that say that they're going to come in and rescue people and we don't talk a lot about what happens to the people after they're rescued or what happened to put them in a situation that they needed to be rescued from or what that rescue looks like. I think what that implication is on the surface is a, is a really good one, that people want to help, right? But when you start to unpack it or dig a little deeper, what it turns into is, is that people want to help if it's a quick fix and if it's kind of clear cut. If I can, if there's anything ambiguous about your situation or about the morality or the ethics that went into it, it gets too complicated and too hard. So it becomes one of those things where it's people are donating almost to get the t-shirt, you know, to have that quick rush of I did something good, mm -hmm. as opposed to actually being willing to put forth work that is long and difficult and complicated and it may not have an easy end yeah. to it. I think that fits too with the, the general narrative that you were talking about before, um, where the problem is bad guys, and so the fix is get rid of the bad guy. Like life was fine, you got snatched, um, and so we just unsnatch you. Um, but if a person's uh, in a trafficking situation, they, they likely had a, a lot of things going not so well for a long time before that. Um, and so taking them out of the situation is good, but then if you're not also providing ways for them to live, you know, a full, healthy, educated life, um, you, they just might need a lot more help than they get. I think it's one of the things that we've talked about in here before, which is like, how do you eliminate trafficking? It's not as simple as you get rid of all the traffickers. It's, it's, it's not that simple. It's you get rid of all the traffickers, but you also eliminate all the vulnerabilities that put someone in a situation where through force, fraud, or courage, and they can be trafficked. And getting rid of those you know, vulnerabilities include things like eliminating global poverty and sure. food scarcity and making stabilized regions and places. So like it's, it's and those are really big abstract problems that don't have clear solutions. So I think for a lot of people, it's easier to say, it's the Super Bowl, it's criminals coming into our town, messing with stuff. It's not a bigger system that we're working with, and we'll, we'll save these women who look a particular way from these men who look a particular way, and then we'll be done. Problem solved. Everyone gets to go home and be happy and enjoy the Super Bowl party. Well, then I... I, we, we empathize. I think that's a perfectly rational approach when you're looking at this big problem and wanting to do something about it. But it's also on people in the anti-trafficking movement, such as ourselves, to, to say, well, there are things that you can do and to act, explain what some of those are. And that's where we're going to go with the rest of this conversation, is what are some practical steps that you can do in you know both now and in the future. 
You have some thoughts on that, Rex? I made a list. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Um, I like lists. Yeah, so about a year ago, uh, I put together a little list um, for the Human Trafficking Center blog about things you can do instead of worrying about the Super Bowl sex trafficking myth. Um, And a lot of them are kind of related to uh, education. If you're listening, you're already doing some of that, so good on you. Um, because again, it's not just about awareness, it's about more kind of correct awareness, because um, there's a lot of misinformation that's spread around, um, even from anti-trafficking organizations, even there you have to be really careful with whose information you're getting. Um, this is probably a good source. Um, yeah, a lot of things have to do with uh, resources as well, and getting money to anti-trafficking organizations. Um, and even organizations that don't specifically deal with uh, trafficking, but they might have survivors in their service population. Um, so things like domestic violence shelters, uh, for example, even though they're not trafficking per se, um, domestic violence can be part of a person's uh, trafficking situation, so they might end up working with uh, people like that in general. Um, making better laws. Uh, there's been a lot of, like I said before, um, criminalizing of trafficking, and so legislatures have spent a lot, lot of time defining exactly what trafficking is. Um, but then a lot of those laws are not accompanied with uh, survivor for things for to provide for survivors uh, after the fact. Um, there isn't enough victim support, kind of across the board, um, also for for trafficking victims. Um, I know Seth, one of Seth's favorite things to talk about is uh, looking into supply chains. Uh, because there are ways that all of us every day, uh, through the things that we buy, th- through the things that we eat, uh, in the places that we live, have uh, probably been connected to exploited labor um, in our consumption of goods. Um, I think Seth might have better updated places to look on uh, where to go for supply chain stuff. I'll link to a few places in the show notes. Um, if you don't necessarily have money to give to organizations that support survivors, um, maybe you have some time. Volunteer. Uh, figure out who's helping people and, and get your, uh, yeah, help them out. Right. Uh, what are some examples locally in Colorado since that's where we're based? We have like the Laboratory to Combat Human Trafficking and CONET. <sighs> Uh, yeah, uh, CONET is the Colorado Network to End Human Trafficking Hotline. Um, I volunteer with them. I was on shift uh, just this week, actually. Um, and we are seeing an, an increase in calls uh, overall. Um, so there's, you know, some aware- some of this awareness is going to, uh, you know, help people out, which is good. But And that's a, a hotline for possible sex trafficking locally? Uh, human trafficking in Colorado, so both human sex and labor. Um, we'll take any kind of call. Uh, staff 24-7 all year around. Um, and then we also have lists of uh, resources for people. Um, so various shelters that they could potentially go to, various ways to access uh, help, yeah, after the fact. Let me pull up that number. Actually, it's a good thing to, to plug if I can. If I can yeah, put things in the do shows. that. And I believe Polaris also has a national hotline. Polaris houses the national hotline. Uh, they just rebranded, I think, is the National Human Trafficking Hotline. It used to be the that was something that was longer and complicated, resource center or something. Um, so now it's just the National Human Trafficking Hotline that is housed by Polaris. And I don't have that number. If you do. I have that number. It is 888-373-7888. Seven eight eight eight. Again, that's eight 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 
373-7888. I will also include it in the show notes. And then the CONET, the Colorado specific version of that, um, is 866-455-5075. That's 866-455-5075. And uh, based on uh, past uh, orientation and, and such, that's a clear, that's a place where you call and then you CONET figures out where to route the call, such as whether to go to law enforcement or not? Uh, so CONET advocates don't um, make any decisions for the callers at all. Mm-hmm. It is not a law enforcement hotline, and uh, CONET will not give the information to law enforcement if the caller doesn't want to. Okay. Um, the only times where it would go to law enforcement against the caller's wishes would be if the person is a uh, mandated reporter. So we have some psychologists on there who are mandated by law to report any anything they know mm-hmm. about um, child abuse, like certain things that they have to, they're required by the government to tell the government about if they hear it. But that's in their capacity as that kind of a person, um, so not necessarily the whole hotline. Mainly I'm, I'm wanting to get at, like, why should some, what type of phone calls should people make or why should they call the hotline? Um, so first of all, within Colorado at least, it's the best list of uh, resources in the state. Um, and all the resources that are in, um, <coughs> excuse me, in our book um, had some kind of human trafficking training. Um, so they're going to be hopefully uh, better than other agencies that haven't had similar things if they're going to have sense. It, because they need to have sensitivities to, to survivors of trafficking, kind of specifically. Um, yeah, if you're just if something just seems kind of weird and you need to talk to somebody about it, like you're not sure if it's trafficking or not, uh, we can have those conversations as well. Um, also, if you do have something that you want to go to law enforcement, um, the people who run CONET have uh, connections with various uh, jurisdictions around the state so they can make sure the information gets to people who know kind of what to do with it and will be maybe as dismissive as um, less informed agents. Yeah, and I've made, I've actually made calls to Conant before because I've been out and, and seen something in particular of people working in the service industry where it just seemed, there's, a, there's nothing that I could like if I had to give a list of reasons why I find it concerning, but I nevertheless do. I think people should trust their gut with it. So I've called kind of Conant and given them kind of a rundown with what's available and they've then given me the option that they can kick it to other agencies or kind of things that they've suggested for me. So I think it definitely is a fantastic resource, especially if you're in Denver or the Denver metro area. Um, Colorado. Or Colorado as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. So I recommend it. There's also actually the National Human Trafficking Hotline as well, um, which is what Seth gave. Um, And again, similar sort of situations. I think depending on who I've called has depended honestly just like on the whim of the moment of what number like I had available on my phone. Um, but I think that there's there's no bad calls. So like if you call in and you think you saw human trafficking, what's the worst possible thing? That it's not human trafficking and that good. <laughs> if you do call in and if it is, then at least there are other people who are aware mm-hmm. and, and filled in. So, All right. Any final thoughts? The Super Bowl does not raise human trafficking as far as we know. Uh, like put actual time and money to organizations that are uh, doing kind of frontline work supporting victims and survivors. 
and on Super Bowl Sunday, please enjoy the game. There you go. Yay! Go sports! (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, guys. Have a good day. Bye. Bye. This has been Speaker for the Living. For extended notes and sources, visit our website at speakerfortheliving.com.